0: Hello and welcome to the Smells Like Infinite Sadness podcast. I'm your host, Michael Taylor. For those of you who don't know, I run the website, Sadness.com. It's a blog covering the best alternative rock from the 80s and 90s up to present day. I'm a proud middle-aged Gen Xer who is still obsessed with the music of his youth and loves to talk about it. And today's special guest is Kelly Scott, drummer for the Space Rock Trio Failure. Failure were one of the most unique and dynamic alternative acts of the 1990s, but they flew a bit under the radar and broke up shortly after the 1996 critically acclaimed album Fantastic Planet. But the band would reunite in 2014, buoyed by a diehard fan base, many of whom discovered the group in their absence. Failure came back strong with their 2015 comeback album The Heart is a Monster, which drew critical acclaim. The band had a very busy 2018 as well, releasing a series of EPs, which eventually culminated in the full-length, epically titled album called, wait for it, In the future, your body will be the furthest thing from your mind. This was released November 16th on the band's Failure Music label. In today's interview, Scott and I discussed the new album, their creative approach behind releasing the album in installments with EPs, uh, which tracks prove the most challenging, plans for a 2019 tour, and much more. So sit back and enjoy. All right, so I've been enjoying your guys' uh, EPs throughout the year, and of course now you've got the full album, and the future of your body will be the furthest thing from your mind.
1: Yeah, have you heard it yet?
0: Yeah, I've been listening to it. I've been obviously th- throughout the year I've listened to it, but I finally listened to the full album uh, the, the past few days. So I've been really enjoying it. It's been a nice, uh, immersive listen. So it's been really, really cool.
1: How uh, uh, how do you feel? Uh, because we've been doing the EPs, and I've been listening to the music for so long, like especially the first and second EP. Like they're so old to me that it's uh it's a little difficult for me and i've listened to the record a couple times like maybe over the last uh, week and a half um but because we didn't have all the material finished it was really hard to listen to what it was going to sound like once it was all put together uh what do you uh, uh how do you feel about the way the record the entire record moves from one end to the other I think it's great. I mean, I think it's got a
0: very, you know, solid flow. I like how it's got a lot of different moods going on and, you know, it's, it, I think it's, that's one thing I was going to ask you too, because I know that for for failure, obviously you guys put a lot of effort into the sequencing, you know, for out for albums.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, this one, especially, you know, the way we decided to do it um, was completely opposite of the way we normally do things. You know, one, we usually sit down and we write and record the records together. Um, And then when we're done, we're done. Uh, This time it was just section by section and Ken and Greg would write. And then they would, uh, you know, a couple weeks into it, sort of present me with demos of what they had. And then we, when everything was done being written, or at least for the most part, because things definitely changed from the demos, arrangements and things like that we would go in and do a day of drums and then the drums would be done. Um, so we kind of did the whole thing like that, but the, the scarier part for me was once we do finish records, there's usually like a two or three week period where the songs are just really labored over and the order is so meticulously like thought about and the records listened to over and over and over in separate orders. And you know, you're right. The sequencing is, as much a thing as you know the process of recording the record or mixing the record like it's its own thing that has to happen before the record's done and in this case by creating the artwork ahead of time and releasing the eps the way we released them the order was set before the songs were even written um so it was a little scary to be locked into something like that without you know, and there were months in between records, so you didn't really have uh, a great idea of like what the flow was going to be while you were working on a certain batch of songs. So that was that was a little worrying. Um, and like I said, I've listened to it a couple times and I'm starting to kind of get my head around it and nothing sticks out where, you know, I'm, I think to myself, oh, I wish this song would have been there or. Um, but I'm curious as to because it's fresh, or at least fresher, to the people who are listening to it, um, how they feel about it, uh, especially compared to listening to one of our other records.
0: Yeah, I mean, because I've listened to this, I guess, all the way through about about four or five times, and I think that you know it's it has a very good flow to it. I mean, I don't see that anything that's jarring in it, and you know, it's opposed to your, mm-hmm. your previous two albums. It, has, it still feels like it has that very solid overall uh, feel to it, so I think it's it's really strong yeah
1: um thank you for that by the way that's uh that's a serious commitment that's four hours out of your life <laughs> uh, I know how hard it is to find uh, an hour to do something that you want to do that isn't uh you know just sort of the regular things you have to do in life that sort of seem to fill everything up pretty quickly, not leaving. Much left for, for the the liver to
0: to do for himself. Well, what um, what inspired you guys to try this this approach versus you know doing the traditional album recording is in the past.
1: Um, you know, one, I, I think there was definitely a, a a bit of the same thing that inspires us every time we do a record. Like, how can we do this differently? How can we keep it exciting for ourselves and challenging? Um, you know, but I think the that accompanied with, you know, the just sort of the underlying like what's going on in everyone's life factors. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, each of us had stuff going on that was going to make it very difficult for us to just lock ourselves away for six months every day. Um, so we just sort of, with that in mind, um, we just had to come up with a, a, a creative way for us all to do something new yet um, be able to dedicate the amount of time to our personal lives that you know, given what was going on in our personal lives, we were required to do. Um, so you know, it's just kind of a dovetail of how how can we be creative, and this is our life today, you know, the demands of our own personal lives. Uh, Which is awesome that we as a band can sit down and one, uh, you know, tell each other, well, this is, you know, this is what's going on in our lives. And, uh, you know, these are, this is going to be a factor in how we approach this next record. Um, And then, you know, secondly, the amazing thing is that we've managed to turn all of that stuff, which, you know, usually dooms and takes people out. Um, into a creative process that, you know, was good for everybody. Um, you know, I think, I think that's definitely one thing since we've gotten back together. Um, it's, it's moments like those that are uh, uh, a, a, a big contrast as to the way things were for us as a band in the nineties. Mm-hmm. You know, I think those life things are one of the obviously main things that pulled us apart as a band, um, you know, and now just being a little bit older and a little bit wiser, those types of things just make us stronger and pull, our, pull us closer as a band.
0: And do you think the expectations were different this time around? Because the last time, of course, you were doing like your comeback album with The Heart is a Monster. Did the, did the expectations still different this time or was the pressure less or or did it not
2: really... Mm-hmm.
1: No, I mean, um, I don't, I don't know if it was, uh, I mean, a comeback record is just such a, a strong moniker. Um, I mean, I, for us, the record just felt like we were picking up where we left off, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of time went by and things changed in our lives and in our personal Interpersonal relationships, and we decided now is a good time for us to start making music again. Um, there, there was definitely a little bit of, I think, internal pressure. Like it, it's very rare that we succumb to or even acknowledge an overwhelming outside pressure, you know, like what are people going to think, or how is this going to go over? Or, you know, I, I think we were all concerned with uh, at first. Um, But it very quickly went away as to whether, you know, what we want to do is going to have any sort of relevancy. Um, But, you know, like I said, that, that went away pretty quickly after the first, you know, batch of songs were written and recorded. We were very aware of what we were doing and what we had and, you know, that it was definitely worth pursuing and this was going to be a great thing um i think for everybody else but even more so for us um you know we're we're our own worst critics when it comes to stuff like that um but you know i as far as comeback record i don't i don't know if it you know was that big of a deal um i know that we all not unlike this record we just want to make great music that we would sit down in our own free time and and listen to, you know, and be compelled to listen to, um, you know, if it doesn't meet that standard, what's the point, you know, especially with us because we, you know, we all have these other branches of music where we can just, you know, continue to play music on our own with other projects and, you know, the way we were before we got back together. Um, so I mean that's kind of how I feel about all that. But this one was a little extra exciting just because of sort of the 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 way we took this project on, just being so different. Um, you know, we we really we really kind of took the safety net out from underneath ourselves this time. You know, with the way we did the record, there were just so many ways that it could have gone wrong.
0: Well, I know you're you're mentioning your concerns about how it would end up as a finished piece, but was it nice to get feedback from the fans by releasing it kind of in the installments and getting more of an immediate feedback from from them throughout the year?
1: Um, you know, I mean it 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 is on a you know obviously a personal level. I mean, you know as as a musician, when you create something and put it out, like you want to know that it's resonating with you know people that love your music and it's also attracting like new people, you know, sort of under the umbrella. Um, I, I, I think at the same time, it also makes you, you know, again, with the way we chose to do this record, like we picked the artwork and the sequenced songs before we had anything written or recorded, you know, I think it highlights also, uh, sort of that question of you know is this going to be as good as the other records like have we doomed ourselves like is there a big problem coming up that we don't that we're not able to see because we've kind of put the cart before the horse on this one um so you know i mean in that way you know, maybe maybe they're for me. Maybe there's a little extra personal pressure um, because it's resonating so much with the fans. You know, with the people that love our music. Um, I don't know. Does that does that answer your question? Yeah. No. That, that, I, that... I kind of feel like I just talked myself into a full circle. <laughs> no. No no. <laughs> no. no. That makes sense. But I mean, that's a, that's a personal. I'm I'm just telling you, like from my perspective, um, there isn't at any point where, you know, as a group, we're sitting down like questioning any of this stuff aloud, um, you know, and I, I think I think there are definitely a lot of personal fears and questions that we all have that we don't vocalize, that don't become part of sort of the band psyche. Um, and I think that's a good thing, too. Uh, I think when you're making music, like the last thing you want to do is use your brain. Um, there shouldn't be any of those like types of sort of, you know, fears and questions and, you know, just all that weird stuff that we all, all do all day long. Um, you know, to get through every 24 hours, um, you know, the, the beauty of, playing music is, you know, you have that moment where that part of your brain and pain um, turns off and you get like an escape, you know, the making of the music is like the eye of the hurricane where everything's nice and quiet and peaceful. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I feel about, about that. You know, I mean, we're, we're a band and we're tight unit. I mean, we just, once we have our mind set on something, we just kind of plunge in and keep sort of, you know, brow beating forward.
0: So you're, you're mentioning that you had the album, you know, a title and then the songs picked, uh, the song titles picked out for you wrote any things. So, so was everything that we hear in the album, was it all written lin- linearly or was that, or did it? Well, the, the,
1: the titles, the titles weren't picked out. The titles weren't picked out. The titles came as, like if you we came up with the artwork and there were just dots, um, there weren't any actual titles for the songs yet. There were titles for the sections of the EP. Like we had one main title, and we knew if we broke it up into four releases, each release would be called this section of the the title of the record. Um, and we had the artwork, but the title of the songs, like those came as we were writing them and the writing of the songs weren't they were similar to the way we normally do it when we do a record no matter how we the actual physical process of it we write a song we while we're recording the drum part we're arranging the song and then there's you know like a a week or sometimes two spent doing vocals and overdubs and then there's a uh a a pretty good mix of the song and then we're done with that song and we move on to the next one. Who's got an idea? Okay, let's go with that idea. And we start turning that idea into a song. And that's kind of, everything is almost always written like that. We never go back and forth between songs. We start a song, we finish a song, we start working on the next one. Okay. Um, so in that way, the record was just like all the other records. Um, there's not a whole lot of back and forth.
0: Well, what I like about this album, like I was mentioning before, I like how there's so many different types of moods and, and structures, and and uh, you know, it's got a real varied feel. And I really like par- Paralytic Flow a lot. I think it's got a very powerful uh, performance for you, particularly on the drums. Was that a challenging one for you to play as far, since it's such a, a dynamic one percussion-wise, or...?
1: um paralytic flow no um that one was just uh very supernatural felt very failure um no that that one in particular was definitely really natural and and pretty simple um and again like it, it depends uh I don't remember having that section of songs I don't remember having to have to do a lot of like when they give me the demos I usually go to um, a studio uh, a couple times a week Um, you know with that one I think I made like two or three trips to the studio just to get all of my patterns and the arrangement of what I was going to do and any sort of uh, other ideas like if I wanted to drastically change parts um from uh, uh what was on the original demo that they had given me um but that batch of songs in general was pretty quick and pretty easy um and I think that's actually where we started to um add a fifth song like the first batch of songs we went in and we recorded four songs in the day um and then that second batch of songs we recorded those four songs and had some time left over to start a demo for a song that would be on the 30 piece. Um, so it's, it generally as we got the hang of it, it started to get a bit of a bit easier. And again, I mean, I was putting in the work, so I was prepared before, you know, it was the day to record the drums. Um, the one song that probably gave me the most difficulty was distorted field um ken had i can't remember what i was doing i had gotten home and there was uh an email in my inbox greg was out of town he was doing the perfect circle stuff and there was a song uh, that ken had emailed the both of us that was for the most part completely finished um there were a, a couple parts on his demo that uh um turned into other instruments and there were a couple other melodies and guitar parts and stuff like that added. But for the most part, the demo was done. Um, there was a full realized drum part. Um, everything was there. Um, unfortunately the drum part that he had written, um, couldn't be played by a person. Um, so that one in particular, I mean the beat itself is not easy to play. Um, there's just a lot of the syncopation with a lot of the left foot, right foot stuff, Mm -hmm. um, is, is a little challenging to sort of get the hang of and make a natural thing, you know, for the player. Um, and, uh, because, you know, he played everything with his fingers, there were a few things in the original beat that just couldn't be played by a human. Um, and I was kind of stumped on it and there was like a week where like, am I being lazy? Uh, you know, cause I, 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 I actually had to give the drum part to a couple other friends of mine who were like just really spectacular drummers, um, who I know that like, they literally is not, there's nothing that they can't play. Like they're just really incredible clinicians and, um, and, and they basically gave me feedback, you know, cause I, I, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't giving up on this part. Um, and, uh, uh, they, they affirmed my opinion. They were like, yeah, this, this can't be played. <laughs> um, um, and one of them, one of them actually was like, well, this can actually be played, but as a drummer, you would never want to play this the way it appears because it just wouldn't feel right. And you would never get it to move and groove the way you would actually want it to as a live person. Um, So with that, I actually spent like two to three times a week, you know, from just a few hours, like at the end of the day, like I wasn't getting home until like midnight working on this song and trying to figure out a way first to play it and secondly to keep the essence of the song without like what happens if i take out like this note and what happens if i take out this note or what if i play this note here instead of there like just figuring out a way to make it feel natural without ruining the essence of I mean, as soon as I heard it, I was like, holy shit, this is a great drum beat. I got to figure out a way to play this. Like, this is just so cool. Um, so it was, it was a personal challenge for me, stylistic wise. And it had me reaching for something that I'd never, I just never even thought of trying to play something like that before. Not unlike, um, like that song from magnified, um, uh, What is that song called? No, no, the one with the Fast Tom stuff that was programmed also, like a human can't even play it. Yeah, Wet Gravity. Like Wet Gravity is like that also because Ken and Greg did that record like right as I was joining the band and a lot of that stuff was programmed. Um, so it took a little finessing to turn it into something that a real drummer would play. Mm-hmm. Um, not a real drummer, but a live drummer, you know, it had to be playable. Um, but wet gravity in particular, the chorus beat was, uh, you know, you, it it was bordering on needing another appendage to make it physically playable for a person. (laughs) Um, you know, not unlike, you know, this one, um, the only difference being I, on this one, I had to learn the fact and recorded on the record that one i had to learn after the fact and be able to play it you know live um so that was definitely the most challenging one all of the other songs like came um fairly quickly and just felt fairly like really natural and you know they were all just sort of within my wheelhouse
0: mm-hmm. but no i think that that makes sense i guess this was, was this the the first time since you've been in the, in the band that, that you've used a, a, a electronic drums to complement your playing? Or is this, or is this a, a, f- a first? Well,
1: no, there's no, there's no um, on the record, there's no electric drums. Everything is played on a drum set by a person. I'm just talking about the demos, the programming that Ken had done. Oh, okay. Um, that had to be turned into a real person before we actually went and recorded the song. Um, I mean, that was kind of the process a lot on this record. Like when they wrote something and created a demo, there was always like a guide drum track there. Um, you know, sometimes there's, it was really similar to what the end was going to be. Um, you know, a lot of times you kind of have to take it and, you know, sort of for me anyway, like creatively, I want to add something to it or interpret it like how I would interpret it. Or, you know, sometimes I would just completely rewrite the beat. Um, but to Ken and Greg's credit, I mean, a lot of what was on the demo, the drum parts anyway, are what appears on the record. Um, you know, they have a way of their version of a demo is most people's version of this is our record. Um, like they're pretty flushed out and fully realized. Well, one
0: thing I was I was listening to on the album, I, I really like the, the closing song, the, the pineal electorate. And it Oh yeah. And it's got a very kind of beetle psychedelic uh, feel. Uh, and I know that, mm-hmm. that that reminded me a little bit of Mulholland Drive off The Heart as a Monster. Yep. So so was that yeah. kind of a, a sequel to that in a way? or is that kind of inspired by that song um, or did it just kind of happen to uh, kind of share some similarities?
1: Yeah, I think I, th- I think as <clears throat> As, uh, uh, Greg's Greg, his writing style has definitely developed in, you know, if you go back to fantastic planet, there's the nurse, you know, which shares a lot of those qualities, but yeah, Mulholland drive. And, you know, I just think that's a a part of his writing style that he's sort of, uh, you know, is in his arsenal now, Mm -hmm. you know, he really loves writing like that. I mean, that's the the beauty of Ken and Greg and it, it, the reason we're able to make such long, sprawling pieces of uh, 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 music like records. I mean, you know, not too many people can string together an hour of music. Um, that's a lot, uh, especially for the listener. Um, but because there's so much style within the two of them and their ability to sort of uh, just write really rich and different stuff. It's not like treading on the same ground over and over and over. Um, the more we write and the more records we make, it seems like each time, like a few new types of, uh, riffs come out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I just think that's something that, you know, Greg, especially, um, is just really developing that style of writing within his arsenal. Um, um, you know, and then you have in complete contrast, like, uh, you know, Apocalypse Blooms or, um, you know, any of the four songs on sort of what you would call EP4 or the last four. You know, all of those songs are so different from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're essentially coming out of the same person. So um, is Is there
0: like a... A percentage-wise, that that each of them contribute. I mean, does it kind of like Kim puts it a batch in that was a like one EP, or Greg puts in a batch, or was it just pretty evenly distributed throughout the recording um, process? I was curious about that.
1: Well, you know, if, if you're if you're looking at like in terms of who physically wrote parts, you know, there's definitely a distribution process, but. I think more importantly, when it comes to a failure record, you have to look at the entire record as a whole. You know, I think it's only when you look at it from up above that you see um, that it takes three people to equally contribute to one of these records for it to be what a person is going to get when it's done. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I don't think we're the type of band where you can really just look at it in like oh well who wrote each section of each song and what's that percentage i mean you've got ken for starters is like literally setting up the recording studio and facilitating all of the sounds all of the mixing all of the i mean there's so much we're not your normal band where all we do is the music like we literally make all of our own records Um, you know, it's not like we have a guy that comes in and does all of that stuff. And then the band is only left with the musical part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, I kinda like would like to sort of stay out of the area of, um, you know, for me personally, I prefer to look at the whole record. From up above, instead of getting into, you know, dissecting it and giving everyone percentage points as to this is their only contribution. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No, that totally makes sense. Because I mean, um, I, I think I think that formula works with probably a lot of bands. You know, you always have that one guy that writes everything, and then you know people come in and sort of contribute their parts or not. Um, I just don't think that we're that type of band that fits within that sort of formula. Um, you know, we're all one part of a whole, um, you know, and I, I think that's part of what keeps it really rich and, and compelling and creative and, you know, internally.
2: <clears throat>
1: I think that's why, um, we work so well together. And I was, I was kind of
0: curious too. I, I know that um that uh Greg has said in in uh, his press release for the album that they were a lot of his themes were kind of social media and how it's it's kind of isolating people and and the issues it's causing. But of course, to be a band in the twenty first century, you know, social media is so important to to connecting with your fans and to letting people know about you know your releases and tours and so whatnot. So, is that more of a necessary evil, or do you guys have a positive? Uh, I guess. Uh, how how does that kind of play into you know into keeping failure going as far as interacting with your fans and is there kind of a positive and negative aspect to, to the social media um for y'all?
1: Well <clears throat> I mean that that question I mean I, I can only I can only speak to that personally. Um when it comes to uh you know, there are many times where I ask Greg what a song's about and he's like pretty guarded about stuff. Um <laughs> Honestly, I there's a lot of stuff on our records that I have no idea what it's about. Like literally stuck on you. I had no idea what it was about until like 15 years later. It dawned on me that it was a song about a hit song, <laughs> like getting stuck in your brain. Um, so, you know, for me personally, <clears throat> when I'm sitting down and working on music and coming up with parts and, you know, just doing all the stuff that it takes me Uh, that I do to contribute to a song while we're recording and writing and all that stuff. Um, You know, I don't at any point think about this thing called social media. Um, It just isn't something that uh, works its way into my personal life. I'm not a person that sits on their phone all day. Like I'm just, that's not part of what I do. Um, Although I will say in, in the time the the importance of social media, and I fully embrace it, you know, people are people. If there wasn't this thing called social media, you would see good and bad things in people because of something else.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, I, I don't necessarily think that social media is the culprit with the seeming distance that it's creating between people. Um, I think people innately have that distance from one another. Mm -hmm. Um, And I only know that because I'm pretty much the polar opposite. Like I love being close to people. I love being like really honest and open with people. Um, That's one of the things that makes me as a person feel like I'm a very small part of a very big thing. Um, And I sort of find my security as a person who sometimes feels alone in this great big world. You know, in that place, I think we all need one another and I love personal relationships and meeting people and, you know, I'm not afraid of people. I am i don't distance myself from the rest of humanity. I see the similarities between all of us. We're all just afraid and want to be loved. Um, You know, that underlying fear for each individual causes them to live their life in a different way. Mm-hmm. Some people are more comfortable being behind a screen and being who they are. Um, I'm just not like that. And I I don't think that the screen is necessarily the culprit. I think people have always been like that. I mean, you can trace it back for every single person to a kindergarten playground.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, You know, so people are people... uh, I, I don't see the evil in social media and I, it, it's just, you know, how people generally are. Again, I mean, if it, if there wasn't this thing called social media, they would figure out a way to, you know, create that distance themselves. Um, I do see, um, uh, there is an innately good in that. I think people should be able to express themselves however they get to do that. Um, you know, and if a person finds that place behind a screen, I'm all for it. You know, people are creative beings and they should be able to express themselves, um, one way or another. And if that's what makes them comfortable being a part of this big thing we call the world, you know, so be it. Um, uh, but as far as, um, a creative outlet and a way to sort of get our music out there. I mean, one thing that is very obvious is, or at least to me, when we did fantastic planet and we broke up and we weren't a band for 15 years or 16 years, however long that was, somehow our music got spread way further on its own by people doing what they do. I love this, putting it up online somewhere and spreading it to another person and that other person doing it, spreading it to another person or, you know, so that thing happened because of technology and the internet and the Facebooks and the Instagrams. And, you know, back in the day, you know, all of those sort of sharing sites, you know, so I embrace that. I mean, if it weren't for that, Um, I, I don't think that we could have gotten back together and had an audience that would sort of sustain us, that we could go out and make records and be able to pay for them and do tours and be able to pay for them. And, um, so in that way, I think it's a really great thing. Um, you know, in another way, the internet is so big and there's so much information and there's so many bands and. You know i I know that there's a flip side of the coin where there are thousands, tens of thousands of other bands that will never get heard yes, um, because so, there's so, so much space and there's so much competi- competition for that space, you know, not unlike radio, radio is the same way. that's how you reached a broader audience, and you had to be positioned in the perfect spot in order to get that radio slot. So your message was um, spread to music listeners. You know, it's not unlike the same thing. Um, But, you know, again, in our case and in my case, I mean, I I see I see the good in in technology and and all of this stuff. And I personally love it. Like, I love talking to people that love our music and. You know, it really gives me personally a sense of humility in in just the idea that right now, while you and I are sitting on the phone, somebody somewhere is listening to our new record and for that hour, like they're being pulled out of their lives and they're just transfixed on this thing that is making them feel something. Um, you know, or they're relating or, you know, it's, that to me is the most amazing gift is that, uh, you know, I know how important it is that you, there are things like that out there where you can just leave the hustle and bustle and the stress and tension of your life and escape into something that just, you know, transcends and takes you to another place above it all. Um, You know, that's what music has always done for me, whether it's my music or the music that I grew up listening to and that I love to listen to or that I go to just to step out of life for a second. Um, So in that way, being able to moment by moment connect with someone who is getting that feeling through what we do is I mean, it's just it's crazy. Like to say that it's humbling. I mean, that's just an understatement. I mean, it's 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 nuts, um, and I mean, I I personally love that part of it.
0: Well, you were you were talking about how Fantastic Planet was kind of able to blossom, you know, in the in the time that you are were uh, apart. Did you have any inkling after after that was out and 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 you guys broke up that maybe someday would we'll find an audience? Was that a complete surprise or or? Or is there kind of like, like the hope that you're like, maybe this will survive us and, and, and eventually find its audience?
1: Um, total surprise. I don't think any of us knew that, you know, because as you're walking through life, like every now and again, you meet someone that's like, oh, you were in that band. God, I love that record. You know, and it's just that moment that begins and ends, and then you're just walking through life again when we got back together and we started to book that first tour we literally i mean we started with one show in LA and our thinking was and i mean this just says everything let's book a place that isn't so big that it's not at least going to look full full um so <laughs> going with that notion I mean, honestly, yeah, we had no idea that people were going to show up. You know, we just wanted to play that first show and not be completely embarrassed that we had booked a place that was too big that was empty, (laughs) Um, you know, in in all honesty. And we did it months in advance so we could promote it and, like, just give people time to sort of trickle in and, you know, gobble up the tickets over a four- or five-month period And it wasn't until we got feedback from our agent. He's like, guys, like we put this show on sale and all the tickets were gone in like less than five minutes. Oh, wow. It was like, what? Um, so, you know, that was, that was, that was a pretty overwhelming feeling. Um, at that point we were like, okay, well maybe there's something here let's put our whole foot in instead of just a big toe and let's book a tour. Um, and then, you know, we booked the tour and we started to see that people were buying tickets, but then we played that first show and nobody knew that we were going to book a tour. So that show was attended by young kids, old kids, people from South Africa, Australia, the UK, like all over the United States, like people traveled, um, some of them long distances to be there. Amazing. Um, so I think that's when it really dawned on us that, wow, like there's an audience, um, for, for what we do. Um, you know, cause I mean, otherwise we would have had no way of ever knowing. Um, I, personally before that i mean you know i'm still not a big internet person um i r- r- didn't spend a whole lot of time on a computer before then um you know i've never really been a computer person i mean i definitely am more so now i work at a software company oddly enough um but uh um yeah i mean we just to answer to your question is Yeah. I mean, we would have never known until we actually got back together and started booking shows, you know, and then we put up our social media page. Um, and that, that's when, you know, sort of the direct contact with people outside of driving to their city and running into them between the stage and, you know, going to the next city. And
0: speaking of, of a tour, now that you guys had a chance to, you know, get that full album out and all of that. Do you guys have a tour in, in the works or will there be uh, some dates for
2: 2019?
1: Um, we are definitely going to tour in 2019. Um, uh, there, there's some rumblings behind the works. Uh, we're, we're, we're definitely going to do our own some of our, some of our own stuff and put together a tour in 2019. Um, but I think there's also going to be us and another band you know, you never know with these types of things. We put it out there; they want to do it, we want to do it. Um, you know, they have a new record coming out too, so hopefully, you know, we can make it happen. Um, so there's some rumblings of us in another band that I personally think would be just totally awesome. Um, and uh, you know, we're going to definitely do some stuff, you know, by ourselves. I think like we have for you know the previous record. Um, uh, I guess they usually call it a night with, um, I don't know if you've been to any of those, like, since we've gotten back together, we've done a few tours where it's just been us and we've sort of, uh, built a night of entertainment, uh, with no opening bands. Like we've had films that we've created and, you know, we've split our sets into threes and played for like two hours. And, um, it's just been really, really cool um, to have a night. Uh, and I think also from the perspective of an audience member, um, it's something kind of new and different. Um, it, unless you're going to a rush show rush is really kind of the only band I can think of that when you show up to their show, there's no opening band. It's just rush for three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> although, I mean, you know, obviously we're nothing like rush. um, but uh, yeah, the answer your question. Yes, we we are talking about it and, you know, starting to put some stuff together and figure out everybody's schedules and uh, other bands that we'd like to tour with schedules. And um, I'm, I'm hoping as early as like March. Oh, great. Yeah. End of February, March. Well, I hope you'll make, um, make it down to
0: Austin because I've seen you guys play here yeah. about three times. So.
1: Oh, we always play Austin. So it's, it's yeah okay. Austin is one of those so you have
0: to play Austin you guys I saw you guys at the uh, Mohawk and at emo's and both were great great shows um,
1: the Mohawk that was when we did the Fantastic Planet mm-hmm. yeah that was uh actually I'm pretty sure there are some cuts on the live record from the Mohawk um I'm actually now they think of it I'm certain there's at least one one of the performances from the Mohawk that was a great show A weird place like the way the stage was like really tight and it is a good that was a good performance for us because we were so on top of one another i think didn't we blow out the pa at one point (laughs)
0: i think so yeah i think so
1: i thought there was like somewhere in the first or second song the pa blew out so we had to stop and start again
0: um it is a weird venue it's got a very strange strange setup Sure. yeah
1: i mean but, but it's yeah it's um i i like playing when we're really tight and crunched together like there's a great for me anyway there's a great chemistry when we're all close to one another um it gets a little bit weirder when you like have to put your glasses on to see you know greg way over there in the corner of an auditorium <laughs> um you know like 50 yards away Um, i prefer those types of gigs where you're just really on top of one another and sharing the sweat and you know my smile turns into ken's smile turns into greg's smile like there's i don't know i just think it's cool in venues like that
0: great well i think that covers all my questions i'm, I'm i wish you guys luck with the album is there anything else you wanted to say to the fans as far as before we wrap up that want to express about the new album um,
1: or? You know, I think I'd just like to uh, leave it pretty much the way I always do. I mean, you know, with just reiterating the importance of, um, you know, as much as we love what we do and getting in there and creating records. I mean, honestly, there's no way that we would be able to do any of this without without the listeners. I mean, that's as far as failure goes, the listener is as an important part of what we do as each one of us. You know, it really is like the fourth member, you know, it takes, it takes one to have the other. So, um, I would just, you know, again, like to say thank you for that. Great. Well, I love the album. I wish you guys luck with it
0: and thanks so much for talking to me today. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Cool. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you.
0: All right, you have a great day. Thank you so much.
1: You too. You too, thanks. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: A big thanks to Kelly Scott taking the time out to do the interview today. You can buy Ferry's new album and the future of your body will be the furthest thing from your mind via the band's website, which you can find by going to FailureBandMerch.com, or you can also go to PledgeMusic.com slash Project slash Failure slash LP5, or if you go to my website, SmellsLikeInventlessSadness.com, you can see a blog post for this particular episode, and you can download it via Amazon. I have to admit, I'm very curious about Kelly's comment about the upcoming tour next year with a Mysterious Band that also has a new album coming out. I'm wondering, given that Maynard James Keenan is a huge fan of Failure, if that might just be a, a package tour with Tool. That's my theory at the moment, but that could be wrong. Especially if Tool's album turns out not to be coming out in 2019, even though Maynard promises that it will, we'll have to see. But I'm excited to see those guys, no matter who they tour with next year. It should be a lot of fun. Anyways, we're gonna close today's episode out with a track off the new album entitled "Heavy and Blind." So check that out. Hope you enjoy it, and we'll talk to you soon.